This is Channel 253. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. Hi, this is Evelyn Lopez. Uh, This is Crossing Division, Tacoma's talk show. Today we're going to talk about housing and preservation and, you know, a little bit on local gossip and what's going on in town. So I have with me Eric Bjornsson and Josh Jorgensen. Eric, introduce yourself. Tell us what you do and why you have become kind of an uh, interested person in housing issues. Well, I'm an attorney downtown. I came here in the 90s. And uh, occasionally I uh, write an op-ed in the paper and study housing, but my undergraduate's in engineering. Okay. So um, underneath the attorney persona, there's this geek always seeking to get out, and the geekness always believe there's like an answer. So I like to do research and urban issues and housing issues and all that stuff and parking theories. I just just can't get enough of it. So I write a, a, a bunch about it in the Tribune and anywhere I can, and... You know, I love Tacoma, and I want to rebuild it in an equitable way. And so I get in there, and I study, and and hopefully, you know, try to work to add something to the conversation. Great. We are going to make use of that geekiness today. Mm -hmm. And Josh, tell me a little bit about you. What do you do in town? Yeah, absolutely. So my disclaimer first, my opinions are my own, not those of the housing authority. Very good. Um, It is my experience for sure, and and I'll share that as, as freely as I can. Um, But I work for the Housing Authority in the Real Estate Development Department. I've been here since 2011. I went to the University of Washington, Tacoma, in their Urban Studies Department. Very proud of that experience as well. Yeah, they've grown a lot since then. Um, And it's really seen Tacoma grow in the last few years. You know, it's really come a long way, and we're excited to see where it's going in the future. And what part of town do you live in? I live in the Hilltop That's what I thought. And Eric, what about you? I live in the North End. Okay, mm-hmm. and I'm kind of. But on my the, office is downtown. Right and downtown. My office used to be on Hilltop for many years. Okay, yeah, and I live sort of on the west end of Tacoma, near the mm-hmm. Westgate Shopping Center. Mm-hmm. So good, we've got a, a variety of geographical experience too. So let's dive right in. Uh, what I really wanted uh, you guys to come here to talk about today was housing, housing in general, but then housing and preservation. And and I'll tee this up. There was just a post on Facebook the other day that I thought was really interesting. Um, Our good friend Marguerite uh, posted as moved to Tacoma yesterday. So it was uh, August 27th post. And it was a story by the urbanist um, called, What kind of city do we want to be? Tacoma and the arguments cities make. And it kind of opened up the issue of, all the complaints that you hear about, oh, you know, they're building so much in my neighborhood. I hate it. Oh, we don't have any low-income ho- low housing. It's too expensive. So I'll just kick it off with that. What is the best way to fix our – well, first of all, do we lack housing in Tacoma? What do you think, Eric? Well, I think some overall meta context would help a, a bit. Please. And that is we are – Tacoma has about by far the cheapest housing – if you go from Blaine, Washington, mm-hmm. all the way to San Diego, we are about the cheapest housing place in from all the I-5 corridor. Yeah, and I think it was kind of a secret yeah. for a long time. Yeah, and so it is an issue. We're going to dive into it. People want to – I mean we want to talk about affordable housing, how to reduce displacement and gentrification. However, first let's talk about the context. We are the cheapest by far. We're, we're even 30 percent cheaper than Everett. 25% cheaper than Fife. Wow. And like 30% cheaper than Federal Way. And Everett, people don't think about Everett as being a fancy place or expensive. So we're the cheapest. And and that is the challenge for us sometimes because the prices are so low. Sometimes there's not even enough money to build new stuff mm-hmm. because we still have to pay a lot for land and supplies and labor, which is often the same is in Seattle. So that's why Tacoma's sad story often is we can't get anything going, which has been Tacoma's story. We can't restore anything. We're going to get into the church later. And there's no demand for anything. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean it's not a problem. We have people suffering and worried about, you know, is that good or bad? When you see new uh, apartment development being built, is that good or bad? So you protest it. So you celebrate it. And that's what we're dealing with right now. Yeah. Josh, what about you? Do you th- I mean, you must see it from the housing authority's perspective. Do we have enough housing? Is there a demand for housing? And 
Yeah, not from the affordable housing perspective, for sure. Absolutely. We need it. And supply and demand is huge. You Mm -hmm. know, as more people are coming down from Seattle and and some of those other outlying areas, I'll I'll support what Eric said, too, and qualify it that we are super cheap in Tacoma uh, based on our incomes here. Mm -hmm. And the incomes are not necessarily keeping up with the housing prices, for sure. And so we have to figure out a way to bridge the gap between those two. Yeah, I was at a program on Monday night, and Ryan Mello was talking about housing and I think it was he who said that um, housing prices have gone up 40 percent over mm-hmm. the last, I think it was eight years, and yeah. income has not. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, everyone is feeling the pinch on that. We've seen a huge increase in the last few years for sure. So let me tell you, one of the things that I see a lot on social media is people saying – Oh, I really hate that they're building these big apartment complexes, you know, Stadium District, Proctor Station. Proctor Station is the one that seems to get people going the most. You know, these are all expensive units. It's no good. It's not helping our housing situation at all. What do you think? I mean, is that true? Well, it's the best thing possible. It depends on what your output measure, what your goal is. If your goal is to reduce displacement of current residents mm-hmm. and keep housing prices low – then you should try to build as much ho- new housing as you can. And the reason is, is we're getting about 3,000 new residents every year. So the question is, do we want to place or, I don't know, quarantine them in Proctor Station or right. Madison 25 in these new fancy places? Or, but the problem is, if we don't build those for the people coming in, um, they'll go to Hilltop or East Side and they'll buy up existing housing stock and displace the people later. So, yeah, the literature on this is really clear in the studies. The more housing you build uh, for a city, the less d- displacement you have and you mitigate or lower housing price increases. The very worst Tacoma could do is put it with 3000 new people earning more money is to put a moratorium on new housing right. projects. And then you'd have new people. All they would be doing is flooding into Tacoma, displacing current residents would be the saddest thing. Mm-hmm. So when you see them going up, even if you can't afford them, and I can't afford a lot of them, um, is say, well, there's a bunch of people that are going to live there rather than displace my neighbors. So yeah. good. Quarantine them. Let them let them have their spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cities grow. You know, at the end of the day, cities need to grow or they start to shrink and and people will feel the, the negative outcomes of that, yeah. too. One of the things is, you know, I've always sort of figured that it works like this where, you know, you build a new high-end apartment building and someone who's in sort of a moderately priced apartment might get a raise and might think, gee, I'd really like to live in that nicer apartment. And so they move out of their moderately priced apartment. Maybe someone who's in a an inexpensive apartment assuming that those are, you know, sort of existing, says, you know, I'm ready to make a move. I I like where that's located or I like the schools near that apartment. So I'm going to move into that apartment. And you have a flow. Mm -hmm. Um, So even if you're building at the top end, you have this flow that happens through your communities. But I think the difficulty for us is is that we have this, as you said, a flood. I mean, 3,000 new people a year is quite a lot for a city that is, Mm -hmm. you know, our size. But, you know, you have so many people coming in from other communities that I'm not sure we're getting that natural circulation you would not you would sort of normally expect. Well, we're so cheap, and you know when you see the big um, traffic around Fife, mm-hmm. that's the only thing that's keeping our housing prices so low as they are. We're really you know they say oh Tacoma's got a hot housing price the uh, system, mm-hmm. uh, but actually we're only like forty percent of Seattle. So a house would be like a million in Seattle is only like 400000 So it's a huge, huge premium. Yeah. If you're willing to endure the commute mm-hmm. and the extra time, that's how much you can save is about 600000 About 60% you can save in your house mm-hmm. housing if you're allowed to do that. So um, when you see housing prices go up or down, what you're just seeing is – Um, People, they're going up right now because more people are bidding on limited supply. Mm -hmm. But it is impossible. If if all of a sudden we dumped 10,000 units of housing, it is impossible for landlords to raise rental prices when there's a big vacancy. Mm -hmm. They can't do it. What they do is they lower it. They compete against each other, give one or two months free or just stuff like that. But if there's a big shortage and they know know, like 100 people apply for 10 units, they know there's a big backlog and they're going to go, well, I'll just keep raising it. So yeah. it always comes down to how many people are bidding, what's their income, and how much supply do we have? Mm-hmm. It's just – it's that simple. Mm-hmm. And Josh, have you seen for the, at the Housing Authority, have you seen more people coming in who need 
your housing assistance as prices have gone up? Absolutely. We've changed the way that the wait list is structured a little bit. And so rather than the 25,000 or so that were on it before, we're opening up at limited times in part because the, the wait list was increasing so quickly. Wow. Um, but the demand is out there for sure. You know, so how many, how many people does the housing authority provide housing for now? Yeah, the last statistic I saw was about 12,000 citywide. So that's a pretty significant Absolutely, chunk yeah. of people. Absolutely, a lot of families in our units and, you know, those families that have kids in our schools and everything else mm-hmm. that wouldn't be able to have um, a house, an affordable uh, residential spot in Tacoma otherwise. Mm-hmm. And you, have vou- you control like HUD vouchers yeah. too, yeah, right? Yeah, we've got about 3,400 vouchers. And what we've seen as prices have started to increase on the rental market, it's been harder for people to find a place for their voucher yeah. because typically that extra income that the landlord would get is no longer there because, like Eric said, the rents have continued to rise so much that they can just go to the private market Right, the landlord can. Right. Yeah. Um, so that is another, I think, a very interesting topic. And mm-hmm. One of the things that I see a lot is complaints about why is – well, I, I would say there's a premise of that the city has like these controls over everything. So mm-hmm. sort of like mm-hmm. why does the city allow mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. these high-end buildings to be built when what we really need is is low-income housing? And the mm-hmm. difficulty is is that we're working with the private sector. So you know, if you are a private sector owner and developer, um, you – I would just say you are not going to in most cases on your own initiative develop housing that is – Let's say for a low income, let's say it's eight hundred dollars for a two bedroom, mm-hmm. you know, something a family could get into, or five hundred dollars for a for a single or a studio. Totally. I mean, why would you do that when you could build the same apartment really with better finishes and charge you know twice as mm-hmm. much, if not so, three times as much? Totally. I don't mean to jump in, but Eric alluded to it earlier that in a lot of t- times they can't build it because the financing isn't there. Yeah. We're competing with Seattle construction prices for Tacoma rents. And if they don't hit the top end of Tacoma rents, they won't build. They won't build. They won't get the financing. We have a ton of great community-oriented developers and builders in Tacoma, and they can't get it to work because the money simply is not there. Well, let's explore that a little bit because mm-hmm. that I think is very interesting. Um, you know, so much of what you're doing as a developer, you've got fixed costs. So mm-hmm. your labor costs mm-hmm. what your labor costs. Mm-hmm. Your materials, the same thing. You could probably get some discount on the land. Correct. In Tacoma, but Correct. otherwise, building here is the same as building anywhere. Correct. And especially, I think, you know, when I look at like Fife, where they've built mm-hmm. lots and lots and lots of units, mm-hmm. you know, if we don't do something to try to make Tacoma attractive to mm-hmm. the builders, I think that they would. Why wouldn't they build in Fife? Mm-hmm. They'll they'll build wherever they can build at the best price. Yeah, absolutely. To respond to that, I think the type of building they're doing too, whether it's townhomes or the mid-rise, once you make that jump from three stories to four stories, you start to get into different wages and the land starts to go up too. Absolutely. There's a lot of speculation that has gone on in Tacoma over the years, downtown particularly. We also don't have the large tracts of land that Fife would have, depending on which project you're talking mm-hmm. about, for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. And that's it's a gift and a curse for Tacoma, right? Because we are a city in a lot of ways, but also we're pretty uh, we're a low dense city too. Yeah. And so finding out the right balance between all of those different situations is the developer's challenge at the end of the day. Well, and this is something that I don't think that the city has explained very well to the citizens, mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. the um, the the tax abatement that's available mm-hmm. yes. the eight the eight year t- so and just yes. for people listening there's a eight year abatement and there's a 12 year abatement mm-hmm. and the eight year abatement I actually call it a build incentive right it, it has Both nothing are. to do right but I mean it's just yes. like the eight year has nothing to do with what type of units you're building or whether any of them are low income mm-hmm. and and it's not eight years where you don't pay taxes mm-hmm. it is you are paying the rate that was in place before you started to develop the piece of property mm-hmm. so it so it's not like the city the city is losing something but really it's the city is failing to get the increased tax value of that improvement. But they're not losing compared to like what they had last year. Whatever was there last year and being paid is still being paid. They're just not getting the improved value. And that eight year is an incentive to say, come to Tacoma and build here. Just build here. That's what we want. Super critical. Super critical. You know, that came out, um, the the tax abatement came out of the Growth Management Act. Yeah. And here's what happened. Tacoma, Pierce County, was the poster child for bad growth. 
Mm-hmm. And the legislature put it in because we're just – the city wasn't being built up at all and it was actually dying. And Pierce County was sprawling out. So right. like in the 80s, they said, let's pass the Growth Management Act to save farmland and forest land. And so that's a tool of the Growth Management Act of please build in Tacoma versus the suburbs and, and go all the way to Mount Rainier. And then from like 2000 to 2010, it was the saddest thing. Tacoma only grew 2.5% and the suburbs, Pierce County – grew like 12.5%. So it was all sprawl. Mm-hmm. So that's our story in Pierce County. Versus King County, the city, Seattle, actually grew faster than than King County. Mm-hmm. So um, that's what it's supposed to do is actually, it's not supposed to be an affordable housing tool. It's supposed to infill cities to save farmland and forest land. However, it is still a huge, huge benefit for affordable housing. And both of them, they okay. eight to 12 explain, years. Explain why the eight is, because I'd been thinking, no, we're looking at it wrong if we expect any any affordable housing out of this one. Oh, it's the eight is super, super critical because the eight adds is often the difference between building something, which we have very high cost here, and not building it. Mm-hmm. And so it adds to our supply. So when you every time you add to supply, you mitigate or reduce down displacement of mm-hmm. displacement of current residents and future price increase. So if all of a sudden Tacoma was foolish enough to like eliminate the twelve year or the eight year yeah. or mess with them at all, we'd have less housing being built. And with the same amount of three thousand people coming in, we'd have um, even greater shortage. And we know what happens with shortages. The people with more, more power always beat out the weaker or the wealthy beat out the poor. And mm-hmm. they would – you'd have more displacement and less housing being built. So basically a lot of marginal developments wouldn't occur. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to have – well, then people with more money coming from Seattle, the 3000 a year, are going to find current buildings and displace more. So it's super – if you believe in affordable housing, you believe in keeping housing prices lower and reducing the number of displaced out, you've got to be pro-development in the city and uh, for the 8- and 12-year tax abatement. Mm-hmm. Now, let's talk about exactly what it does though. There is really no tax break on – what it, the land is still taxed 100 mm-hmm. percent and the – the commercial part of it is taxed 100 percent at all. Okay. So it's a very pro-tax um, policy. So for example, and it brings in more money. So yeah. for Proctor, that's a mixed use where you've got mm-hmm. commercial on the first floor and then residential. Right. They wouldn't get the tax break on the commercial or the land or the land. And guess what? The assessor, once you build something, we have an old parcel of land with some fueled houses on it, and you build something, the land, um, the assessor values of land um, much higher. It skyrockets okay. the land value. And so all that, so the, no one writes a check, no one from the city, no one does anything. And the commercial, there's a, I don't know, proctorization is like eight different units, uh, commercial units, all that's priced. So the city's made a lot of new money out of it, uh, from it. And now look down at the FOSS. Those were all 10, the, the, by the way, way, those were 10-year tax abatement systems. Yeah, I don't know those, the 10-year. What's the 10-year? Well, it used to be 10-year. Oh, and then okay. the legislature split it into the 8 and 12. Okay. All those are online now. All those are making money. And people have the same debate as they're having now. And guess what? They're bringing in millions of dollars for the city. Uh-huh. So pro, super, super pro-tax statement. The city never loses a dime from okay. it. It always brings in more for the city. But it also, if you're an environmentalist, in the smallest bit, it reduces um, sprawl and, you know, because it's the developers can always and they have in Pierce County developed way out in the forest land because the county has basically no growth rules mm-hmm. and they just allow anything to be developed out there. Mm-hmm. And so it reduces the loss of forest land and, and uh, mm-hmm. farmland. Josh, from the Housing Authority mm-hmm. perspective, what things do you, would you like to see? That, I'm switching a little bit up here. For but sure. what kind of things would you like to see from the city or – even from the from the citizens that would be helpful in terms of really growing our low income housing and being helpful with that. Absolutely. So Eric mentioned it. It's it's really a holistic view of the market, the way mm-hmm. that we're looking at it. And you can take care of the top end through the market. You can take care of the middle end through that naturally occurring affordable housing. At the very bottom, there's going to be some subsidy that's required. Yes. Um, for THA, 99% of our subsidy comes from the feds. Is it all HUD money? Mostly HUD money, correct. And has yeah. that been um, going up or keeping pace or has it sort of stagnated? It has stagnated, but we've been innovative and creative some of the other opportunities out there, whether it's through tax credits or other grant opportunities to low-income loans through some of the other um, 
regional uh, activities that are available in order to draw from. Um, we're also looking at a local housing trust fund, of course, that mm-hmm. can really target those specific populations that the city, the populace, others really want to serve in a lot mm-hmm. of ways, whether that's through some kind of rent subsidy, whether it's through the capital that's improved, whether it's through the um, public works uh, improvements that can go along with the streets and some of those offsite improvements too. Oh, a lot of those things that you don't think about, they can really, you know, they'll add to your bottom line, they'll increase or decrease your gaps depending on where you can get funding for. Has the housing authority looked at, and I, and I just don't understand, I don't know enough about how mm-hmm. the power authority works here, but people always will bring up also too, you know, hey, you know, there's like uh, three vacant houses in mm-hmm. my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. How come someone can't just, uh, we can't mm-hmm. make it so people can move into those? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's a great question. It's one that we grapple with too. Um, part of the issue is where those taxes go and if they're behind on their taxes, mm-hmm. you know, private landlords can move out of a house and not rent it. Maybe they bought 20 years ago. They mm-hmm. don't owe anything on it. They are fully allowed and entitled to just sit on it as long as it's not a public nuisance, of course. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, but if there is a property that that is behind on taxes that needs to get rebuilt, the city and county have some kind of power in there in order to figure out where the tax liens go, whether it gets auctioned off or mm-hmm. sold to a particular entity. And, Tell me a little bit. So yeah. does, um, do you get a chance to work a little bit with the assessor's office and try to figure out, you know, where things are going property by property? We haven't to date. That's typically not been the one-offs, the mm-hmm. onesies, twosies, where we're at. Um, a lot of those have just gone to auction. I, yeah. I believe that there's one recently that's gone to Habitat for Humanity. Yeah, I think so and, too. And on, uh, yeah, on Sprague and absolutely. 12th. Yeah. Habitat is a really unique and innovative organization in town that has done a lot of good for a lot of homeowners overall. Um, and that's the other jump too. You know, recently we sold off all of our single-family homes to homeowners in order to help subsidize some of our uh, multifamily developments. Oh, I didn't realize that. How yeah. much? How many single-family homes? We had did you thirty-four have? that we sold off. We've sold thirty-three of those. Okay. Um, and that that goes straight to our gap funding for the the larger multifamilies that we have, and it helps leverage our investment overall in the city. And is that what we can expect to see for sort of the future of the low-income housing coming out of the housing authority? is mostly mixed-use or multifamily-type housing? For the near future, but mm-hmm. we're always interested in home ownership. You know, if somebody essentially has control of their own destiny at that point and finding out the right homeowner and figuring out how that adds to the tax revenue and everything is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, but figuring out the right uh, mechanism that's mm-hmm. there in order to be able to overcome some of those challenges is important. And partnership with the city and county and others are very important, yeah. too, in figuring out where those particular houses are to be able to acquire and renovate. I was really, really pleased to see THA um, look at the James Center for development because Mm -hmm. that is, you know, right Mm -hmm. across the street from a college. It's on the bus lines. That's Josh's project. (laughs) Is it? He's the master commander. Wow. I mean, I I just, I, I literally, right guy in. (laughs) No, no, I literally couldn't think of a better place for multifamily housing. Absolutely. Um, I would say we have. Two other really good options. I mean, one is that Kmart property on Sixth mm-hmm. is just ripe mm-hmm. for multifamily development. And then I live over by the Westgate Center, and that is again close to schools, on the bus lines, good freeway access, and woefully underdeveloped. It's like hundreds of acres. Yeah, of land. Huge. You land a air, uh, airplane <laughs> on some of those lots. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, when the when the Albertsons went out, it just. Nothing. That's the bizarre thing. Sometimes you see this. That you know, you read about. It's so housing is just such a shortage. There's no place to put anybody. And you drive through to Coleman. Well, there's like hundreds of lots, and you're like, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. How can there possibly be a housing crisis when like a third of downtown is like dead? Right. Like if you ever drive on Tacoma Avenue, you know Market Street and. Yakima. Yeah. You know, you just go around and you go, oh my gosh, this well, whole who, place is dead. Who owns all those? I, mean, I know some of it, the University mm-hmm. of Washington would like to be able to move into it eventually, but. The city, private developers, nonprofits, there's always thing. And you can see where there used to be um, buildings. Right. And you're going through and you're like, I mean, if you go to like uh, E9, the new E9 out there of mm-hmm. Black Fleet Brewing or something like that, you're driving and, and you're in technically downtown. I mean, you're thinking, it's going to take me, if my car broke down, 20 minutes to walk out. How would right. I get to a phone? Not that you even have phones anymore. 
Right. right. Eric's a fast walker. Don't listen yeah. to yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I, I wonder if it's okay yeah, kind jump of in. Uh, bring in the, kind of the meta theory or approach that the city's trying to do, I think, mm-hmm. in some sense, and I think is the best one. I'll tell you, this city council's pretty darn good right now, as it is right now on, on housing issues. And I think it's like a one-two approach. Number one is um, try to encourage as much housing as you can and reduce all these barriers that we've built up through a bunch of kind of reactionary NIMBY policies. We just saw one reduced, and it was a great substantive one, allowing ADUs in neighborhoods now. That was a great. doesn't cost any money. People can just put smaller units in backyards if they want to. No one's forced to. And you encourage it as much as you can. You start reducing all these barriers and maybe allow them to be um, housing where there hasn't been before. Um, Number one, you dump as much free market housing as you possibly can and encourage it. And then two, no matter how much you geek out on these things, there's always going to be a portion of people at the bottom that that are not going to be able to afford housing. Right. But you reduce it. You reduce the needy people of the difference the bridge to get there when you add a ton of market rate housing to it because mm-hmm. then they just don't have such a shortage. But th- then that's where you have, you know, groups like THA or Mercy Housing or something like that for the people that are still in need for that, that need some kind of subsidy. Mm-hmm. But if you don't do the first one first and you require the city, let's say requires half an, they don't allow apartments and you need a half an acre to build a house. So yeah, it costs 600,000 to build anything. You're not going to get very many people housed if that's your building reg- – if they're onerous building regulations and barriers like that. You're just not going to ha- be able to house anybody and every housing unit to subsidize it. It's going to be very, very hard. So first reduce barriers. Mm-hmm. Then who's left? Then you help them okay. to some degree. All right. Do you agree, Josh? I have to tease Eric first. Mm-hmm. He made me promise that I wouldn't let him talk over me. You team me up for James Center North, and then he just goes and in. He just starts <laughs> up. Hey, he did James Center. I James Center in, and that's his whole goal for tonight. I know. It was the one thing I came prepared for. Well, tell yeah. me. T- actually, totally. Well, t- let's talk. Tell me about what's going on at James Center and what's planned, and then we'll take a little break, and then we'll talk about uh, preservation. Excellent. Sounds great. So tell me about James Center. Totally. So I think it's two parts. We've wanted to have a a presence in West Tacoma for a Mm -hmm. long time, right? There's a lot of opportunity over there. It's seen as a high opportunity area by our residents and others. THA didn't have any properties in West Tacoma either, and we had a growing relationship with Tacoma Community College. Mm -hmm. So all of those things, the stars aligned. Your question why James Center North instead of Kmart Mm -hmm. I think is valid, right? The price for Kmart as an empty building is a lot more than James Center North. Really? As, yeah, absolutely. As a revenue-generating property. Huh. And so we were very lucky. The right timing, right people involved, and everything else worked out. The right financing, too, which mm-hmm. we had talked about earlier. And so we were able to pull the trigger, get everybody on board. It's been very challenging to help people understand why is the housing authority interested in commercial property. Mm-hmm. Like you said, there's lots of land around. The land doesn't generate any revenue to help with the redevelopment. Mm-hmm. So as we look to be more more innovative and looking into the future and figuring out how we can help self-subsidize our own properties and really get that right mix between market and affordable and low-income subsidized, we thought the James Center was the right mix. And our design, I think, has shown that. We think that we'll hit all of those boxes and be able to accommodate a lot of those people and figure out how we can continue that partnership with Tacoma Community College being right across the street versus down. But we're also looking to expand if this is a, a viable model we can definitely replicate it across nice. the city too. Absolutely. It's what's very the, exciting. What's the timeline for James Center? Totally. I, I jokingly say two to 20 years. <laughs> okay. We're still yeah. early on in the process. Um, but Tacoma Community College has been a great partner in that and figuring out how they can help participate in that so that they serve their students as well as some of the other demographics that we want to um, serve as well. Uh, we think that the first property could come online in the next you know, three to four years oh, and then the affordables after that and some okay. others as we start to kind of see the pieces shift around. What, what kind of mix of housing are you looking at right now? What kind of units would you be likely to have? Absolutely. There may be some traditional student housing as well as some innovative student housing. 
affordable for families as well as singles, ones and two bedrooms. We really see it all across the board for the nice. spectrum of, of affordability as well as market rate ultimately down the line. Like we talked about with construction prices, some of that needs to catch up to the area, mm -hmm. but we think that it will eventually and we would love to have them on there too so that everybody at the end of the day can participate in this redevelopment. Yeah, well, the mixed type of housing it seems to have worked pretty well in, in Shalishan. Yeah, thank you. We appreciate that for sure. A lot of time and money goes into design and making sure that the, the numbers and the way that it's laid out is right. Mm -hmm. um, this one will be a little bit more dense than Salishan for sure, right. and it's a different part. Um, the light rail is scheduled to go up there in the next 15 to 20 years, yeah. and so that'll add another dimension too. Another big appeal was being right next to Fred Meyer and the mm -hmm. grocery store over there, and so avoiding some of the pitfalls of being right. in a, a food desert. In some yeah, ways. and there's a Rite Aid right there too. I mean, it's a Absolutely. really good location. Lots of amenities for sure. And we, we love those businesses that are on the property, too. They do a great job, and they've got a ton. So make sure you go out and, and you know. Patronize yeah, them. patronize them. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Excellent. Well, let's take a short break, and then we'll get back, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, preservation and gentrification. Just a okay. little bit. Hi, this is Candice Rood, host of the Channel 253 sister podcast, Citizen Tacoma. As you know, before taking over Citizen Tacoma, I was a reporter in Tacoma and also New York. This is gonna sound a little crazy, but in 2011, I was frantically running through the JFK airport in New York, trying to chase down a French politician for an interview when an earthquake struck. Everyone started freaking out. Felt like a scene from a movie. When I moved to Washington, I decided to get serious about earthquake preparedness. That's why I'll be participating in the Great Washington Shakeout, scheduled for October 17th at 10.17 a.m. Everyone in the state is encouraged to take a minute to drop, cover, and hold on, just like you would in a real earthquake. This isn't just for kids in schools, though they'll be participating too. We all need to build muscle memory and practice to make sure you don't run out the door and get hit by falling debris in the next big earthquake. So do it for real with the Great Washington Shakeout. Get down on the floor and hold on. Then do one more thing. Get that out-of-state relative or friend to be an out-of-area contact you can text in an emergency or work on your emergency kit. Again, ShakeOut is scheduled for 10.17 a.m. on October 17th. Got that? 10.17 on 10.17? Easy to remember. You can learn more at shakeout.org Washington. Use hashtag ShakeOut on social media to post ShakeOut selfies after. Thanks to the Great Washington ShakeOut for sponsoring this episode of Channel 253. Okay, we are back after our break. And before we get going again, let me just do a little pitch here for Channel 253. If you are not a member, you totally need to be a member. $4 a month gets you all this good stuff. And lately, we've been having special stories or special things that only the Channel 253 members get first access to. And then, of course, we open it up to the public. So I'm a member. You're a me Excellent. Very good. And uh, so if you're not a member... Think about joining. It's well worth it. So I thought we would turn now a little bit to some aspects of preservation. And I want to touch on, before we get into that, some gentrification. Because something you mentioned earlier, Eric, and I know, Josh, you've mentioned this too, but we didn't really dwell on it. It's sort of the idea of like, look, people, building some high-end apartments and condos actually keeps the new money coming to town from immediately going to Hilltop and buying that craftsman. So yes. talk about that. Well, if you want to – I think when people talk about gentrification, let's get down to it. They're really concerned about being displaced from their business mm -hmm. or their house. Mm -hmm. That's what they're concerned about. And and I would say uh, changing the culture and the feel of a neighborhood too. Mm -hmm. Like if something is – so we'll take Hilltop. Historic black center of Tacoma. Um, was sort of, you know, the Harlem of mm -hmm. Washington State at yes. one point. Mm -hmm. And there's not – there are little bits of that left, but not a lot of it left because it's changed so much over the years. So I think there's that that feeling too of what are we losing. And the redlining that went into that too. And the red, Exactly. Absolutely. So the redlining mm -hmm. sort of built Hilltop as the mm -hmm. black neighborhood mm -hmm. because people were not allowed to buy houses or were not able to get financing mm -hmm. outside of that area. And what developed then was this rich – culture of churches and restaurants and clubs, the Colored Women's Club, mm -hmm. things that we don't even have today, jazz clubs. Um, and so it is a shame to think of losing that um, specialness, you know, through more people coming in who, who don't have that 
same background? Well, I think that's an interesting thing to talk about because right now, I mean, if you're concerned about it at all, yes, you want to have new housing got in so you don't have existing residents and long-term residents displaced. Mm -hmm. It really is that simple. But Hilltops, um, I came here in the 90s. In a lot of ways, it's in worse shape financially, the business center. MLK Business Center yeah. than it was in the 90s. Because, yeah, why do you think that is? Well, um, Save-A-Lot store was going right. at the time. Um, there were a lot more buildings that were going. Some of them were functional. And we had all kinds of, a lot of nonprofits came in with big dreams, and yeah. they always did the same thing. They knocked down some buildings. Right. They had a big plan. They knocked down some buildings. Nothing came. I would say right now, we don't really have an issue on Hilltop of – I think when people talk about gentrification or worry about being displaced, in Hilltop, we have a problem of just vacancies. Yeah. I would say of the lots on Hilltop right now, I'd say half of them have the building knocked down. Mm -hmm. And of the buildings that are there, a majority are empty on square footage-wise. And, of course, that's disproportionately hit by Save-A-Lot store, which right. is empty right now. So, right. I mean, that's just sort of a wound right in the heart of Hilltop. Right. And now we have the link coming in. So the, really the problem is right now people coming in and, and with too much money displacing businesses. Now, mm -hmm. housing is somewhat different. I know that's harder mm -hmm. and, and that's kind of a, a separate thing. Right now we need to have an you know investment uh, investment there. And also I think gentrification, it it also includes where you have a higher income group displacing a local business. Right. We don't really have that. Right now, We there must be, I don't know, 20, 25 vacant storefronts. If you want to have a business, you can move into right now. Yeah. No one's coming in with Rolex uh, stores. No, uh, no, to, no. To Rolex do, stores probably not. not uh, quite. To, to do that. Usually businesses, when they go out of business, like we had Hilltop Kitchen used to mm -hmm. be on MLK. Now they left. Did a fancy store move in? Nothing. No, it's just still empty. It's vacant still. So it's just vacant. So we have a curse of vacancy here. and People keep talking about gentrification. But the business district really has not. And, but the way you do it is add more supply so you have in the future for housing and, and, and businesses. Add more supply so you don't have people fighting over a narrow little bit and mm -hmm. driving the prices mm -hmm. up. That's the best we can do. Mm -hmm. And Josh, is this something that um, THA looks at to the idea of, you know, displacement and gentrification and how to sort of negotiate through that issue? It is, absolutely. Right now, THA is wrapping up um, a planning process that was very inclusive and very uh, attentive to the needs of the neighborhood. Where, where was that? In the Hilltop. In Hilltop. Yeah, specifically. Uh, we have the key, the old Key Bank building that's there on 11th and MLK. Okay. Between MLK and L. Um, is that where Fab Five is right it now? It is, okay. absolutely. Fab Five was very influential in the planning process as well. Uh, we also have the Mr. Mac store that's there on MLK oh, as I well. Did. So THA owns that now? THA does own that building. Okay. Yeah, the city worked with us over a lot of years to be able to figure well, out Well, you've how got to the Mary Canada um, building Alberta too, Canada, right? for Alberta sure. Alberta Canada. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. We just got a new facade on that yeah. and are working with some businesses with historic ties to the neighborhood okay. to move into some of those vacancies for Excellent. sure. And it's always on the front of our minds. It's never a, an easy solution. There's no mm -hmm. silver bullet. But figuring out how cities can continue to grow, how the neighborhood can continue to be vibrant, like Eric said, you know, we do want to make sure that those storefronts are activated, but also pay homage to and pay consistent attention to who goes into those businesses, mm -hmm. who goes into those affordable apartments, mm -hmm. and figuring out how to maintain and increase the vibrancy while maintaining and increasing the, the culture of the area, too. Mm -hmm. Well, it's something that I think Tacoma has done very well kind of, I think, inadvertently. Mm -hmm. You know, we have the whole downtown uh, museum district in the UWT, which mm -hmm. is just mm -hmm. beautiful mm -hmm. um, because we preserved all of those old buildings Absolutely. and moved in and sort of worked with what was there instead of mm -hmm. demolishing everything. Mm -hmm. Was that, uh, you mentioned that you went uh, and studied urban planning at the UWT. Was that, did. did you did you do a lot of studying of sort of like how this school also developed? A little bit about the school specifically, mm -hmm. but it was my experience going down to their campus that brought me to Tacoma. It's really? a beautiful. I was there on a third Thursday, right? Oh. I saw everybody out there, the, the museum down the street, the way that they preserve those buildings, the mm -hmm. train tracks running through. 
it's like no other. It really is. It is like no other. It's true. And it's, it's what brought me here and the people too, you know. The affordability is a great plus. The cultural and vibrancy and, and jobs and, and everything, too, make it viable. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, it's those hard decisions, expensive decisions that THA, or sorry, that Tacoma has made in general yeah. um, that I think will continue to attract people and what make it so special. It's a strange thing, isn't it? Because in some ways, I think having the mall occur and sort of, frankly, devastate the downtown mm-hmm. financial and commercial mm-hmm. community, it just sat there. You know, sort of like Brigadoon, it was just waiting mm-hmm. and waiting. And then what came and what's developed there has been, you know, I mean, it is it is probably, I would say without, without a doubt, the nicest downtown that I've seen in western Washington. You know, that's, that's mm-hmm. actually, you know, sort of, it's still not really fully awake, but and it's so beautiful. And we've knocked so down about half of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's so, mm-hmm. what's there is very beautiful. Mm-hmm. We have, we've lost more than most cities ever had. True. I mean, it's just like the north and south. Park Plaza parking garage, yeah. like one block after another of beautiful historic buildings and just knocked down to, for, for the two, parking garage. Yeah, the Bill Barsma, former mayor Bill Barsma called Tombs, and they are mm-hmm. one of the worst parts of the city. Although I think the Park Place um, building development has really helped That's renovate. helped with Spaghetti Factory. Spaghetti Factory. They redid yeah. that, but we still have the North Park Plaza Yeah, that is just garage. dismal. Try walking by it. Try bringing your friends from out of town and go, do you want to just walk with me past this cavern right. that smells looking. bad? It's, yeah. uh, that's not authentic culture anywhere. Mm-mm. That's just sad and scary. We need to spend a lot of time knitting together those special notes that we have, though. UWT being mm-hmm. one of those over by Old City Hall is another mm-hmm. with McMenamin's mm-hmm. opening up and really activating that. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of parking lots, a lot of surface level asphalt that we need to really figure out how we, we make it. a lot it, more money. You know. That's one thing we need. We do need more people here because we don't have enough money and vibrancy in this city to still save, I don't know if there's a bridge, to still save our historical buildings. Go for it. Well, let's talk about it. We so big it. news, big go. news this week is the Archdiocese in Seattle mm-hmm. saying, eh, you know, Holy Rosary, we don't really care, you know, knock it down, raise it. Not not a big issue for us. And so mm-hmm. the community around Holy Rosary, um, you know, McKinley and areas like that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the just below um, Lincoln, mm-hmm. devastated, completely mm-hmm. devastated. That church has been there almost 100 years. Mm-hmm. Generations of people have been worshiping there. It is very, um, very noteworthy from the exterior. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful church. But on the inside, I don't know if you guys have been on the inside, it is beautiful. Never been inside. It's it, iconic oh, from the outside. I don't know if you can get in now. I think they've got it closed. But I'll tell you, Eric, it is like Robin's Egg Blue. Mm, of all, I mean, wow. I was stunned. I went there for a wedding. Robin's Egg Blue. The altar is gold leaf. I mean, it looks like something mm-hmm. out of out of Europe. I've never expected to find that mm-hmm. in Tacoma. Yeah. Well, my first reaction to it is Seattle once again saying Tacoma doesn't matter. And right. So we're going to cut that leg off. Um, also, if you read the different uh, reports and blog, and you see, you know, Michael Sullivan, uh, his statements on it, you know, they, they said, well, we spent 800 hours, you know, trying to analyze this building. But it turns out if you look at it, it looks like they they spent 800 hours trying to write their, you know, death warrant. Their reason for it. getting rid of it. And they said, well, it takes $18 million to bring it up to the code. Well, the truth is, matter, when people looked in the reports, it's only $2 million to get it functional again. Mm-hmm. Nobody, look, more, most houses, including, uh, they're built like before 1940, including all those fancy northern houses. They're not up to code either. Right. Lots of them have knob and tube wiring, not ADA compliant, all kinds of issues. But you know what? You can occupy them. They're fine if you don't touch them. So it's only a couple million. But it, it once again, I mean, we've been through this save the Luzon. We've won some. We've saved the Elks. Yeah, saved that beautiful. Uh, old, old City, City Hall, Hall still, looks likely. Still looks likely. They, it's still in disrepair, but at least hopefully somebody's working on it. Don't count that one out yet. Don't take it for granted yet. So we've dealt with this many dozens and dozens of times. Union Station, if you talk mm-hmm. to people that are older, they talk about Union Station. So we've been through this a lot. It all comes down to do people care enough about it mm-hmm. to be done? And then there's always a political, financial angle to save it. It can be done. but And then it does Tacoma register on the map of somewhere that people care about. 
Right. Or is it just like, oh, it's in Tacoma, so who cares, which has been our tradition of the Seattle-Tacoma relationship for like 65 years. Mm-hmm. And Josh, what about you? What do you think? Yeah, I'll this? take it from the other perspective. Mm-hmm. And it's it's about this church particularly, right? But it's also about churches, historic churches in Tacoma in general. We've lost a lot of we them. We have, mm-hmm. and we will lose more because mm-hmm. of the way that churches are set up and structured and they are changing entities just like anything else. Um, Trinity Presbyterian is a great example of some of the mechanisms that are out there to help, you know, preserve and improve mm-hmm. and save a church. And they've spent a lot of time and money and effort to integrate themselves into the community, into their neighborhoods, into some of the other amenities that people are looking for nowadays. And I think that they should be a, an example that, that people continue to learn from um, as we continue to try and preserve these great old buildings yeah. across the city. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, for those of you listening, if you want to make a comment or write to the Archdiocese, there are um, Facebook groups of Save Holy Rosary, and you can send a letter to the Archdiocese and uh, tell them that you would like them to relook at Tacoma mm-hmm. and maybe try to save that for us. And we'll see. We'll see what happens. There's also a donation page. Oh, donation, and that's that important too. And that's important mm-hmm. too. So, but now is the juicy part of the show. So I want to talk about what's going on locally. Mm -hmm. And the first thing I want to bring up is I sent you both this um, Channel 253 exclusive story written by Sean Robinson, previously Mm. of the TNT, who looked into this story that he'd sniffed out that um, Keltec Plastics, which is owned by Deanna Keller, who is running for Port Commission, was doing business on a number of contracts with ICE. Mm -hmm. And so... What do you think about this? Is this an issue, do you think, for the campaign? I mean, I think that was Sean's premise was... I I want to clarify one thing. They're not contracts. What? They're not contracts with ICE. They are purchase orders that she receives. I'm not defending her. I'm just making it clear that um, that they aren't actually contracts. Okay, so not actually contracts. They are um, businesses that she bid, you know, Mm -hmm. work that she bid on to produce for ICE. Mm -hmm. I think it's fair. Okay. Is this an issue or not an issue? Josh, what do you think? We'll start with you, and then we'll start with Eric. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Part of what I like about Tacoma mm-hmm. is that we are an industrial hub. We're an economic hub. We care about the people and the way that they make their their living and their earning. But we also do it with a conscience, too. And at the end of the day, we balance both of those different priorities. And I think that we'll do that in the selection, too. Mm-hmm. For my conscience, I don't necessarily support all of the activities that go along with that detention center and we can all have our small lever of power that we get to pull to decide how we participate in the structure overall. Mm-hmm. People will make that decision. I know how I'll make that decision. But at the end of the day, too, everybody is looking to figure out a way to support their families as well. Yeah. But so for you as a voter, it sounds like that is mm-hmm. valuable information. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Figuring out how, you know, in this big organization and this big government that we don't always know how we fit into, being able to point at something and say, you know, I'm choosing intentionally not to support something specific mm-hmm. for a specific reason is very important. Yeah. What do you think, Eric? It's going to be an issue or not an issue? Well, I think it should be an issue for anybody. And I, I think you have to – I don't see it as being technically unethical, like mm-hmm. someone was caught with their hand in the cookie jar. Oh, absolutely. Okay? And I think that article that also talked about a lot of other – like hundreds of companies do business with ICE. Mm-hmm. And um, let's be a little fair here. Go go back to the city council. city council. The city of Tacoma, and we're all in this together – it's a lot of money from ICE activity, from B&O tax, mm. and from the, probably land tax. The city council voted to put them in, and they're the representatives of us, so they're not outside of us. With that said, um, if you're looking for a port commissioner, if you're looking to have the ICE facility um, act better mm-hmm. or um, – be removed from the tide flax, that's something you probably want to think about if for whether that's the candidate that you want in it. Yeah. So I don't see it as uh, a gotcha, it's you did something, you got to pay off that you didn't, that was illegal. However, it does show where people's bread is buttered. Yeah, it does. I think that's what it shows, mm-hmm. not an unethical thing. Yeah. And that's a reason to change your vote of like who feeds you. Mm-hmm. And that's going to people are – Regardless of what they, how liberal or conservative people say, if you see where they're getting their money, 
you can that's that's why we have the PDC. We get, and a lot of the PDC things like if someone gets tobacco money, totally legal a lot of times. But then you say, well, they got a, to- a lot of tobacco. So if you're trying to do an anti-smoking initiative and someone's receiving a lot of tobacco money, that may make you change your vote. Yeah. Doesn't mean it's illegal. Yeah. I agree with you. I think that for me, I don't know how I'm going to vote in that race. I really mm-hmm. don't. Because what I'm looking for is who is likely to bring an independent view to the port? Who is going to be comfortable standing up to the chamber or the business community and saying mm-hmm. no? You know, the next time an LNG terminal mm-hmm. is, is you know, proposed. And so when I look at it, I think, does this tell me anything about whether this person is um, – thinking through all of the parameters of the decisions they're making. And I don't know. I haven't decided yet. But mm-hmm. I do think it's a, I think it's a good thing for voters to know about. Um, I do think – I know notice that um, Deanna, who I do like very much, mm-hmm. uh, on her Facebook page, she had noted yesterday, you never look good trying to make someone else look bad. <laughs> and I'm assuming that's in response to this, but I don't know. So yeah. it's going to be interesting. I'd also done. like to make mention, too, that we followed that up on Channel 253 with a Citizen Tacoma interview by Candace Rood with mm-hmm. Deanna Keller. So oh, that, excellent. So does she talk about is this? or will be out almost immediately. Okay. So more info and directly from Teaser. the candidate, mm-hmm. listen and look for that Citizen Tacoma. Mm-hmm. Any other hot news you know about? And we'll wind down after this. But I can't – I don't think there, there was Well, there's a, an election coming up. There is an election City coming up. The mm-hmm. election. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be exciting. It is a big change in governments in, in this city because Ryan Mello's leaving. Right. And Ryan has been so active and kind of the backbone of policy for the city of Tacoma for so many years. Mm-hmm. It's going to be interesting to see who takes his spot. Mm-hmm. And see who um, prevails in in the other ones. My view of it, though, is this city right now it's doing. Of course, I like housing issues. Uh, on that, it's doing party doing pretty good on balancing adding a ton of development with. It's also very liberal and very pro building. I mm-hmm. think it's a pretty good combination right now mm-hmm. and kind of rare because other times, I mean, we've spent fifty years putting in policies that every time we had a policy go up against housing, housing's always lost each and every time. Hmm. And we put one barrier after another, one quick one, one quick one, put a, they're going to put the, uh, turn the golf course, the developer, the people that owned it into a bunch of housing, right like thousands of people. Yeah. And guess what? The, the city council did a policy balancing golf course versus a thousand housing units. And they go to, they said, oh, golf course. So there we, there we are. And they also banned all of it on the east side of the FOSS. So we've been spending 50 right. years banning housing. So it's now, this, now the city's going, I'm shocked that we have a housing <laughs> shortage. I'm just shocked. Well, we're in the situation. It's largely self-created by the city. Interesting. Yeah. Josh, what do you think? What's hot going on in Tacoma that you see that's a, something we should be watching? It's been a, a good run, right? Yeah. The market's been strong. We've yeah. had a lot of new businesses come in. You know, things have improved. Things are looking good. People have jobs. Uh, how long will that, uh, you know, stay? I don't know. Well, that's true. Is the true. market going to turn? That's is true. Tacoma if the market gonna, turns, yeah. if we go into a recession, mm-hmm. we may be talking again. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. How many more people that can't afford Seattle are going to come down? Mm-hmm. How much worse is our problem going to get? Mm-hmm. How much can we maybe balance out? And I think, like you guys have said, having the right candidates that can really look at those issues and make those mm-hmm. decisions is important. Excellent. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think we'll end it there. Thank you so much. This has been really interesting. Hey, thanks for having us. That was great. Absolutely. All right, guys. uh, Listen for future episodes. This is going to be even more talky as Tacoma's talk show, and we will see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. This is Channel 253.